0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. We're so glad you're here. God bless you for coming. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation, and it says this. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. The Apostle Paul's writing here. He said, we've not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Verse 11, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. And notice verse 13. For He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. One translation, the King James says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now these verses here, these verses that we just read, they're from the Bible book known as Colossians. The Bible book known as Colossians. The New Testament book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written in the late 40s AD, 50s AD. Most Bible scholars believe that. And he wrote this, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He wrote this while he was in prison, and he was in prison in Rome. And this book is a letter to the church that he wrote while he was in prison. He is writing to Christians who lived in the city of Colossae. The city is now located in the territory we know as Turkey. The city no longer exists They know where it was located geographically, but there's no city there now. In fact, a group from Australia is planning an archaeological dig to try to find the remains of Colossae in 2019. The city was destroyed by a great earthquake in 60 A.D., just a few years after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to them. They rebuilt the city, but it was never rebuilt to the place it was before the earthquake took place. Biblical scholars tell us something very interesting about this book, Colossians, that the Apostle Paul never preached there. He never preached in that city. He never preached in that church. Most of the churches, most of the letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul went there and he preached to those churches and to those saints that he later wrote to. But this is one of the few ones that the Apostle Paul, Colossae, he never preached in that city. He preached close by. There's another city close by called Ephesus. And Paul preached there, and a great church was built. But the Apostle Paul never preached in this city. The Apostle Paul didn't start this church. This church, Colossae, it's interesting to know, was started not by a star preacher. This church was started by a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior started this church. The Bible tells us that Epaphras started this church. The church in Colossae was founded by Epaphras, who was known as a dynamic man of prayer. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Notice the next sentence. He is always wrestling. He's wrestling in prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Notice what it says. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. I like what the Amplified translation says. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 in the Amplified reads this way, Epaphras, who is one of you and a bondservant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always striving for you in his prayers, praying with genuine concern, pleading that you may, as people of character and courage, stand firm, spiritually mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you prayed for someone and didn't see noticeable improvement right away? How many times have you prayed for someone and didn't see noticeable improvement? Let me ask this. How many of you have ever prayed for anybody? All right, let's start there. Thank you. How many of you have prayed for someone and did not see noticeable improvement right away? (laughs) And how many of you will be honest and say, I didn't see noticeable improvement, so I kind of got discouraged and just give up praying. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, that's happened to me. It's happened to you, Pastor? Yeah, it's happened to me. It's happened to me. Epaphras loved the saints of Colossae so much that the Bible says he wrestled in prayer for them. He wrestled. There was tension. It was intense. There was resistance. And he wrestled in prayer for them. And here's something I've learned over the years. Often the things we pray concerning others does not result in immediate answers. The answer is found in their spiritual growth and maturity. Therefore, our praying takes time and is a process. I can pray for me, needs in my life, I can pray and I can usually get results and answers pretty quick because it usually comes down to I'm messing up and the Lord shows that to me and after pretty quick, I'll straighten up. But have you ever noticed when you're praying for other people, they don't straighten up as quick as you want them to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They don't straighten up as quick. So it takes time. It's a process. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will we will give up and we will quit. my computer just went out. And uh my Jesus. That's why that's why I still like like the Apostle Paul. Bring me my parchments. Bring me my I ne I never had my King James Bible to ever go out on me. Can I get an Amen in the out? All right. Now, it's back on. Let me see if I how much battery I got. Hold on just a second. I just don't wanna Oh. I got sixty one percent. That's about that's about sixty percent more than most of you operate on on a daily basis. All right, <laughs> let's go back. Let me let me let me get, let me show you something about prayer. How many brought your Bibles? Good. Turn to Revelation chapter Revelation chapter five. Turn over to Revelation chapter five. I want I want to read a few verses here that are, are pretty pretty interesting, pretty neat. Let Let's read it and then I'll explain it. Revelation chapter 5, let's begin with verse number 1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Where was he sitting? On the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the twenty-four elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the twenty-four elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the seven spo- sevenfold Spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now let me give you a quick overview of what's happening here. The Apostle John... Has been exiled for his faith. They didn't kill him. They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. They tried to they 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 crucified Peter upside down. They beheaded some of the apostles. They hung some of the apostles. Uh, they crucified other of the apostles. They they had some of the apostles thrown to the lions. And the Apostle John, they tried to boil him in oil, but it didn't have any effect on him. So what they did in turn is they exiled him to an island for nothing but prisoners. There was no food. Nobody gave them any food. They had to, to fend for themselves. Nobody. The worst criminals were exiled to this island, so the, the criminals just killed one another. And that's where they exiled John, the Apostle John. And while he's there, and the Lord sustained him, while he's there, he had a vision of the future. And that vision of the future is the book in the Bible we know as the book of Revelation. Okay? And now, during this part of this vision, <clears throat> we come to Revelation chapter 5, and the scene, John, the apostle, has this vision, and he's, the scene is in heaven. And the scene he is seeing is in the throne room of God. And the Bible says, as we read it, that he saw God sitting on the throne and he had in his hand a book. He called it a scroll. And it was bound up with seven seals. And the scene is like this as you read it. It's as all of heaven is waiting for this book to be opened. They're wanting this book to be open because heaven understands that within this book is the plans and purposes of God for th- the end of time, from that moment forward. And unless somebody opens that book, the plan and purposes of God will not come to pass on he- in heaven or in earth. And the Bible says here that the apostle John because nobody was worthy to open the book and the book was bound up that the apostle John began to weep. Now, that, that whole concept that the plan of God is not going to come to pass unless the book is opened, that's true down here on earth as well. Because, see, the, every, God has a plan for every one of our lives. But it's not going to automatically come to pass just because he's got a plan. We have to be involved in that plan through our obedience and through our faith. And likewise, God had a plan for the end of the world, but it wasn't going to come to pass until the book is opened. And the problem is, nobody is able to open the book. So John began to weep. John began to cry. And all of a sudden, one of the angelic beings said, Stop weeping. Stop crying. There is one who is worthy to open the book. He said, "The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of the king of day, the heir of king David." And John turns around expecting to see a conquering king. The lion of the tribe of Judah has won the victory. That's what the, the angelic being says. So John turns around, expecting to see a conquering king. But instead of seeing a conquering king, what does he see? He sees a slaughtered lamb. See, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Some men win with armies. Some men win with horses. But our God wins by the spirit of the living God. See? And Jesus Christ, what he saw was Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he saw. And the Bible tells us that when he took the scroll, when Jesus took the scroll, the book, to open it, from God the Father, it says in verse 8, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, it says in verse number uh, 8, Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So Jesus takes the book, and when he took the book, immediately these angelic beings in the throne of God, they fall down. And John sees that when they fell down and bowed down, that they had a harp, they they were musical, but they had golden bowls, and in the bowls was incense. And the Bible says John knew that that incense was the prayers of the saints on earth. Now, think about it for a second. Where is this scene taking place? Where is it taking place? In heaven. In the throne of God. And what do the elders have that are there? The angelic beings, what do they have? They have a harp and they have golden bowls with incense, which are the prayers of the people. Now here's something you and I need to understand. Never stop wrestling. Never stop wrestling. Never stop wrestling in prayer For your loved ones. Never stop wrestling in prayer for your loved ones. As long as we pray and believe, our prayers remain in the throne room of heaven. As long as we pray and believe, our prayers remain. What was these golden bowls filled with? The prayers of the saints. Where was this at? It was in the throne room of heaven. Never stop wrestling, never stop praying, never stop believing for your family. As long as you and I pray and believe, our prayers remain in the throne room of heaven. It may take years for them to be answered, but they remain before the presence of God. You might even have forgotten what you prayed, but God remembers what you pray because they are held in storage for the right time in the throne room of heaven. Today, we are seeing, Amanda and I are seeing prayers answered and walked out today that we prayed for our children 20 years ago. We prayed for our children when they were children about who they would marry, about their profession, about their careers, about how they would live their life, about their children. We prayed those things out for our children. We asked God's blessings and God's direction years ago. 20 years ago, when they were children, and we're seeing those prayers answered today. Why? Because when we pray, our prayers remain in the throne room of heaven to a specific time which those people are ready to receive, and God can move and answer their prayers. So understand this. Epaphras wrestled in prayer for the saints and started the church at Colossae. And periodically, he would go to Rome and give a report to the Apostle Paul on how well the church was doing. Now, here's something you've got to learn about this church at Colossae. Colossae is an insignificant city. It's not like Ephesus, a major international port. It's not like Corinth, a major trade area. It's not like Jerusalem. It's not like... Cairo and Egypt and all the places—it's none. It's an insignificant city. In fact, it's not even there today. It's gone today. And here's something else that we need to understand: the church isn't a big church. In fact, they're a house church. They—they're—they're they're small enough to meet in someone's house, and their houses are not the ones located on Pitts Lane over here. Forty-seven thousand square feet, give or take. 40,000. Their, their, their houses are not These are small houses back in that day. And it was just enough people to meet in a house. And listen, their pastor is not a TV preacher. Most people, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. Most people didn't even know who he was. So think about that. They have an insignificant city, an insignificant little church, Pastored by someone that nobody knows. And yet God chooses to send them the greatest message that Christianity has ever heard. Think about that. Insignificant town, insignificant church, small church with a pastor nobody knows. And God chooses to send them a message that's the greatest message that that Christianity has ever heard. And you know what that message is? Here it is. Jesus Christ is supreme. He has no equal among the religious leaders of the world religions. Jesus alone is God's son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to what Paul said to this insignificant little town, this little bitty church, with not a star preacher. Listen to what he said to them. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Verse number 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is His body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So He is the first in everything. For God in all His his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now why in the world would God, send a message like that that still reverberates today 2,000 years later? Why in the world would God send a message like that to an insignificant group, a little bitty group in an insignificant town with a pastor that nobody had ever heard of? Why in the world would God do that? Because creeping into the church at Colossae was the influence and doctrines from the world religions. And that teaching was that Christ was just one of many. And every religion has good things to help us arrive at completion and fulfillment. Yes, Christianity is good, but Islam is good too. Yes, Islam is good and Christianity is good, but Buddhism is good too. Yes, that's good, but Eastern religions are good too. Every, every religion has something good, and they're all equal. And unfortunately, that same mantra is proclaimed today. And unfortunately, many Christians have embraced that thought, that every religion is equal, and all religions lead us to a better life. And that's what was sneaking into that church. And that's what the church in the United States today has to deal with. The problem is this. That belief eliminates the most important truth of Christianity. And that is that Jesus was and is divine. He's the only son of God. And if all religions are equal, then Christ is no different than Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But all religions are not equal and Christ is not equal and he has no equals. The Bible says Paul said it like this. He went on he says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now you can't say that about Muhammad. And I don't want no overweight, big bellied. I have dealt with that all my life. I don't want no God like that in Buddha. I've dealt with overweight and big bellied all my life. I don't want to worship no God like overweight and big belly. All right? Big Buddha boy. I don't want to go that direction. Christ is not. He, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And then he said, Christ existed before anything was created. Understand, this thing about Christ and Jesus, it didn't start 2,000 years ago. He existed before everything was created. That means he was alive before some of you, and that was a long time ago. All right? Christ, Paul went on to say, Christ is supreme over everything created. He's supreme. He says this, Christ created everything and holds everything together. This this thing, this world would be in total, total chaos if Christ didn't hold it all together. He says Christ is the head of the church. He said Christ was the first to rise from the dead. Now who else, what other religion has a leader like that? He said, Christ made peace with God for humanity through his sacrificial death on the cross. Islam requires you to die. Christianity says, God died for us. Islam, they have to die for it. God died for us. No other religion that the God did what man should have done. Oh no, a thousand times no. Christ is not equal to others. He has no equal. He has no equal. Christianity and the Christ of Christianity is supreme. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There is no one in his category. No one in his category. And that's the message that the Apostle Paul sends to this insignificant church in a little bitty town without a star pastor. And then John when he writes his letter, says a lot of the same things. Listen to what he says, 1 John chapter 4. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse number 1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then he says in verse 2, I love this, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God from the false prophets. I like it when it's easy. I, I like, I, I hate to try to figure things out. He said, now here's how I'm going to show you how you can do it, how you can recognize. Every spirit that, it, verse 2, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, has come in the flesh, that's from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now there's a lot of religions that say He's a prophet. A lot of religions say he was a good man, but no other religion says he was the Son of God. Because if they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, they have to acknowledge that their beliefs are inferior to the Son of God. And the Bible says here that you can tell whether it's God or whether it's not God by this simple truth that if they acknowledge that Jesus is deity... He is the Son of God, He has no equal. Then that is from the Spirit of God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Now go down a few verses in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15, and notice what he says. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Well, pastor, I believe that. Well, if you believe that, I want to show you something special. Turn to Colossians. Go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 25. Hurry quickly. My time's running out and I'm getting hungry. Gotta take my daddy out to eat. He's gonna to pay today. I'm a daddy, so he's Father's Day. He's gonna pay, he's gonna pay for mine. Colossians, isn't that the way it works, Pop? Isn't that the way it works? Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm a father, so my father on Father's Day pay, pays for mine. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1 verse 25. Because if it hadn't been for me, you wouldn't have that beautiful granddaughter you got. And I know you love her more than you love me. So there you go. In fact, we all just get her to pay. We ought to get her to pay. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. God has given me the responsibility. Listen to what Paul says. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. Verse 26. This message, now notice this. This message, now he's writing to an insignificant group of people, an insignificant city, a church that nobody knows about, with a pastor that nobody knows about, and he says, I'm getting ready to share with you something that nobody knows about but you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it is being revealed to God's people. What is it, Paul? For God wanted... Them, You to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. It's not only for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And this is the secret. What is the secret? Christ lives in you. What's the secret that changes everything? Christ lives in you. This visible image of the invisible God lives in you. The one who created everything lives in you. The one who holds everything together lives in you. The one who is the supreme being over everything lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's the reason on Monday morning you can get up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. The supreme creator, the image of God, the eternally existent, holding all things together, God lives in the child of God. And that changes the way we walk and it changes the way we talk and it changes the way we think and it changes the way we live because Christ lives in us. And if Christ lives in us, that's why He said in the first verses that I read, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Why? Because He lives in me. So darkness has no more control over me darkness cannot prohibit me or hinder me or keep me in bondage anymore why because christ lives in me and he conquered death and that was the last thing to be conquered and if he can conquer death he can conquer alcoholism he can conquer sexual perversion he can conquer drug addiction he can conquer insecurity he can conquer all type of emotional disorders and problems eating disorders all type of family disorders he can conquer if he can conquer death he can conquer that because he lives inside of you. He lives in you. He lives in you. He lives in you. you. Now let let me finish with this. Turn with me real quickly to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse number 15. 1 Corinthians 6. An insignificant church in an insignificant city with a pastor who's not a star gets the greatest message in all the world. And it's a message we should listen to and take heed to and believe and think about continually. And it should change the way we live. Because the Creator of it all lives in you. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know, Paul's talking to a different group of people. He says, do you not know that your bodies are a member of Christ Himself? Your is a member of Christ." Your body is a member of Christ. Your body is a member of Christ himself. Shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And here's here's something. Here's a verse you won't hear read in most churches. Flee from sexual, sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you've received of God? You are not your own. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Somebody does something sexually immoral. They get involved with a prostitute or they get involved with having an affair. And you hear people say this all the time. Part of it's true, part of it's not. They say, well, you need to forgive them. That's true. That's true. God forgives and we forgive. But then they say this. Adultery is no different than anything else. Sexual immorality is no different than anything else. That's not true. That's not true. Notice what he says. Verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But who, whoever is united... With the Lord is one with Him in the Spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually not only sins against God, they sin against their own body. You know why he says that? It's because you, you are not just... You born again people who love Jesus you're not just an average person. You're not just a regular person walking around down here on earth. Your body is the temple of God. And the eternally creator, all-powerful, non-equal, with anyone or anything, God is housed on the inside of your body. Therefore, we do not allow our bodies to be joined together with someone who is not also the temple of the living God. Did you hear what it says? It says that when you join yourself to someone, you become one with that person. You become one with them. We're not just having a good time among friends here. You become one with that person. You take part of them and they take part of you. It's like this. You get what they got, they get what you got. You say, well, I understand that. That plays out physically. It also plays out spiritually. It plays out spiritually. Over the years, Amanda and I, unfortunately, have had to deal with... Children who've been sexually abused and molested uh, mainly by men who were uh, had a sexual perversion. And on more than one occasion, we've had to deal with demonic activity that was acting out in those children. And we'd have to deal with the, those children, become, on more than one occasion that we dealt with, became a drug addicts, uh, uh, began to inflict themselves, to try to kill themselves, suicidal spirits. Um, and, and we'd have to deal with a spirit, a literal spirit, before we can get them emotional help and physical help. And it always occurred with those children who had been sexually molested by a man with a per- sexually perverted spirit. And you say, well, why is that? Because when you join yourself with someone, you become one with that person. So that spirit that was on that, in that man and on that man when they joined themselves sexually with that child, got on that child. And that poor, innocent child has to deal with that devil all their life thinking there's some terrible something when they were nothing but an innocent child that was molested by an evil spirit and it got on them. You say, I never heard such. Well, you have now. And it's in the Word of God. That's why we watch how we do with our bodies. You watch who you join yourself to in physical, uh, sexual relationships. You watch that. You make sure what the relationship you're in is a godly relationship. Because if you're a child of God, you're not just a piece of flesh. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. It lives inside of you. Well, that's it. That's all I got. You can pay as you leave. All right. Stand with me, would you? An an insignificant church, a little bitty group of people, with a pastor that nobody had ever heard of, gets the greatest message in the world. There's no other than Jesus Christ. And every day, at work and on the media, you're inundated that Christianity is no better than anyone else. And that religion is no better than Islam. It's no better than Buddhism. It's no better. In fact, you're not tolerant if you don't agree with all these others. And that's an evil, antichrist spirit that will try to convince you of those things. You have with inside of you the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you can live different. Now, next time we'll talk because we have Him on the inside of us. we got the power. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. You don't have to have alcoholism, drug addiction, perversion, paranoia, schizophrenia. None of those things have to dominate your life because the greater one lives inside of you. Amen.